Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture comes out of the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain when, uh, where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. West Bowles, good morning. Thank you for being here. Would you please thank Matt and Mitch and Jason and our worship team? All right. And also, I I just want to, up top, uh, take a minute. We're all very aware, and this is something we don't have to worry about because we live where we live in Colorado. But uh, obviously, Florida... The East Coast, I, I mean, annually, they are, they are staring at a hurricane coming their way, at least one. And so would you take a minute with me? Can we pray together uh, that God would even open our eyes and opportunities for us to uh, be his love and his heart to the people on the East Coast? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, and we are reminded that uh, you— in the midst of all the chaos we see around us, and whether that is, um, is, is just natural causes or it's uh, man-made causes, Lord, we, we live in a world that is unsettled. And so we, we think about our brothers and sisters on the East Coast. We think about those in Florida who, um, in the midst, midst of the loss of life and property and even uh, stability, Lord, we come before you, and we intercede on their behalf, as you ask us to in your word. And so, Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes to how we can be part of uh, how you want to touch um, our land there and and heal there. Um, And Lord, just make us so vigilant uh, as to what you're up to and invite us into that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, I also want to thank one more person. Brian Burns gave me a breather this last week. Would you thank Brian? I think he's joining us online. And I'd be remiss if I did not thank Steve Burns for whether he wanted to be or not, got to be, he got to be used as an example last week. Uh, for all of us, as a reminder to lock our doors, okay? Just, and if you don't get that, go back and watch last week's message. It'll all make perfect sense. And so thank you, Brian. Well, I want to ask a question. How many of you, raise your hand, if you are familiar with the phrase, making a mountain out of a molehill? Making a mountain out of a molehill. Okay, if you're not familiar with that phrase, it's, uh, it's referred to, or we, we refer to problems with that phrase. You know, a molehill, think about driving, driving by a field, you see where all the prairie dogs come up. That, that's like a molehill, okay? It, it's small, okay? And so when we, when we use that phrase, we're saying to somebody, look, 
don't make the problem any bigger than it already is. Now, I've come across variations of this phrase, and we're going to look at a variation this morning. But before we get to that one, my favorite variation of that phrase actually came from the guy who brought me to this church when I was a sophomore at Columbine High School. He brought me to the youth group here. His name was Ryan Wellborn. And um, Ryan, one day, he had a quick wit, and he was sharp. I mean, he was really sharp, and he really didn't care what anybody thought of him. And so one day, he sees this girl in the hallway at her locker, and she is just feverishly trying to apply makeup to what was a pimple, okay? And he said, look, just stop. Just stop. You're making a molehill out of a mountain, okay? Just, just <laughs> knock it off. Now, I probably don't need to tell you he did not find a girlfriend uh, in high school either. <laughs> Uh, well, another variation of it for you this morning, and, and you'll see as we progress, because based on where we are, we're going through the Gospel of Mark, um, you'll see the need for this variation as it applies to us. It's let's not turn a mountain into a molehill. And I don't say that thinking about problems. I say that thinking about those. We have this phrase. You've heard me get on my soapbox about it. We love, especially as followers of Jesus, we love these mountaintop moments, don't we? I mean, we just love when we're inspired and it's like, God, you just gave me your very strength and wisdom and, and inspiration and everything. And I, you know, you just feel like you can just tackle the day. It feels like you had 18 cups of coffee and you are ready to go. And, and when we can, we can often gravitate towards that in faith. And yet we can try to live there. We can try to live there too long, actually. And so this morning, Mark chapter 9 actually takes us to a literal mountaintop moment. Jesus, as we just heard Matt read, is going to take, he's taken a few of his disciples up on top of a mountain. But before he does that, he actually says something, and it's on the heels of what Brian Burns preached on last week. See, Jesus, as we've gone through Mark, we've, we've stopped and highlighted the crowd a few times. You know, Jesus does a miracle, and obviously that would, that would attract somebody, wouldn't it? And so the crowd begins to grow, and the crowd begins to grow. He does another miracle. The crowd begins to grow. He, he's teaching some things that just sounded so different than what the teachers of that day were teaching about. And, and people were drawn to it, and the crowd is growing, and it's growing, and it's growing. And then, and then Jesus says this thing that Brian talked about last week. He says, oh, no, no, if, if you want to follow me, that means suffering. I've come to suffer. I've come to suffer and to, to serve, as we'll see in a couple chapters in Mark. And people started to turn their heads sideways. And they, whoa, 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 wait a second. And then he, he topped it off at the end of chapter 8 of, of Mark. He said, no, following me actually means carrying a cross. Now, we know crosses is something that people wear around their necks and stuff like that. But for them... A cross was a criminal's execution. And people were really starting to go, what? What does that mean? And then he says what we read at the beginning this morning. Mark 9, verse 1. And he said to them, truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Now, if you had heard him talking about carrying a cross and suffering and going to his death, and then you heard him say this, we'd probably be thinking what the disciples might have been thinking. Well, how does that work? How do you reconcile suffering with the power of the kingdom of God? 
And his statement is one we ought to contend with today. He said it to them in that moment. But let me ask you, do you, do you believe? Do you believe that you could see the power of the kingdom of God before you're on your deathbed? Before you go to the grave? Because it's very common and it's very easy for us to look ahead to one day. Oh, yeah, yeah, one day, one day in eternity. That's when we'll understand power. That's when we'll see his glory. That's when we'll see this abundant life that he's talking about. And yet Jesus looked at these guys. He said, no, some who are standing here right now, this moment, will see the power of the kingdom of God before death comes along. And that's the kind of thing that people would have gone, well, I was good with that when you were doing all the miracles and all that stuff. But Jesus, in light of what you just said about suffering and going to your death, I'm not sure how that works. And so Jesus, to advance that conversation for a few of his disciples, you know what he did? He took them to the top of a mountain. And he took them not just to the top of a mountain. They got a glimpse of the glory of God. Let's, let's dive into it. Because one of the things, or, or the thing that we're going to see this morning, is that oftentimes, When we pursue a mountaintop moment, when it comes to our faith and all that inspiration like the crowd was looking for, oftentimes what we do is we turn those mountaintop moments into a molehill. And so I want to give you, I guess I would say a framework this morning. How do we engage the mountaintop moments of faith? Because sure, we could just run after them like it's, like it's a cup of coffee. I just need another cup of coffee. I need another cup of coffee just to keep that buzz going. But Jesus has something far deeper. And Jesus would look at us and he would look at our faith and he'd say, you know what? You're thinking about it differently than I intended to. And we get a glimpse of how he views the mountaintop moments here in Mark chapter 9. And so let's dive in. In in, uh, verse 2, it says, after six days, so six days after he said this statement, and Mark is tying the previous conversation to what's going to happen next. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured. Now transfigured, you know, we read it in the Bible and we think, oh, okay, uh, not sure what it means, and so I'm just going to keep going. But really transfigured is to be transformed into an elevated state. Something actually happened with the appearance of Jesus in this moment. And we get to see what that was. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. It's because of Tide Pods. He was using Tide Pods, okay? No. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses. So Elijah, one of the prophets, and Moses. You know what we have here? We have a representation of what we had in the Old Testament the law, and the prophets. You've got these two representatives standing there who were talking with Jesus. This wasn't just a hologram. They were actually speaking with him. Now, when we, when we stop here for a second, there's something that we, we glean from this moment already. And it's a reminder that runs so counter to our encounters with mountaintop moments. And the reminder here is that mountaintop moments are God-given, not man-made. Mountaintop moments are God-given, not man-made. If you think about the verses that we just read, there was nothing human-manufactured about any of it, right? I mean, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Have you tried to get off-white clothes back to white? 
well, at least in our house, it doesn't work. And my wife is like the best. She is the best. Every time she sees me trying to do laundry, she's like, just move. Just move. Let me try. And, but it's just so hard, right? There, there's all sorts of stuff happening in this scene that human beings just cannot bring about. They can't accomplish. And we have to remember that when we get a mountaintop moment. Because we live in a world that is filled with, you know, high production value. You know, we, we've seen human beings accomplish some incredible, incredible things. And yet this moment here, this is not a man-made moment. This was a God-given moment. And what did it begin with? And we're going to come back to this in a little bit. What did it say in verse 2? Jesus led them. Jesus led them up the mountain. See, a lot of times that's not how we think, is it? A lot of times we think, Jesus, follow me, all right? We're going to have a moment. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to try to grow my faith. I'm going to try to make this incredible moment happen. I'm going to try to mark this moment. No, it's, it's God-given. It's all God-given. As I think about it, it's kind of like this picture. The, let, me, let me show you this picture. This is from the 4th of July this year. Okay, so we went to a Rockies game. We ended up on the field. And while, while um, we're smiling here, I, I need to explain what was going on inside, inside me as this was happening. Because my sister is actually the one taking the picture. And all I hear, we're having to look back, right? So the fireworks are spectacular behind us. And she's like, Nathan, look this way. And I'm like trying to look back at what's going on because I'm hearing oohs and ahs from the entire crowd around us at what they're watching. And she's like, nope, look back at me, smile, smile. And I was like, I'm going to punch you. I'm going to punch you because there's this incredible thing happening right in front of my face. And isn't this what we do? We often try to capture an incredible moment. I mean, how many of you have tried to just take a picture of a sunset? Have you done that on a walk or a sunrise? And then you come back to it later and you're like, what was I thinking? What, what was so incredible there? And too often, this is really a metaphor for how we, how we encounter our faith, right? We look back at experiences and we think, if I could just get back to that, if I could just get back to the excitement, the emotion, the adrenaline, the buzz of that, if I could just get back there, and we completely miss what's happening right in front of us. And it's because we've got to understand the source of any mountaintop moment that God uses to inspire our faith is God-given, not man-made. Well, as you continue through, we begin to see not just the source of a mountaintop moment, but really the danger that takes place. <clears throat> Verse 5, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then in parentheses, Mark tells us he did not know what to say because they were so frightened. Now, here's what I love about Peter. Peter, as much as we like rag on him and, and we point the finger at him, he's really a representative of all of us, isn't he? I mean, I'm always like, do you ever have the kid in class that asked the dumb question? And you think, what a dumb question, except it's exactly the question I had in my brain. He, he was just more courageous, right? That's Peter. Peter's got the courage to actually speak up and say what we're all thinking. And here's, pay attention to what Peter's saying here. Because the word Peter uses, he, he actually uses a word that in the Greek is, is, is pronounced skene. Skene. And a skene was basically a movable tabernacle, a tent, a dwelling place, 
uh, uh, that represented the presence of God. And so look at what he's saying here. Let's put up three shelters. He didn't say let's lay out three sleeping bags because a sleeping bag would imply we're going to sleep here for, oh, a little bit. No, Peter says let's put up shelters. Let's just live in this moment, right? I mean, haven't you had those inspirational moments where you just go, you know what? Everything else could just fade away right now. I don't have any concerns. I don't, I, I'm not even thinking about any of the realities of my life right now, any of my troubles, any of the obstacles. Let's just live in the inspiration, right? You've heard that quote. Some Christians are so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. If not, uh, I did not coin that phrase. It was like, like we've said, it was probably Mark Twain. But anyway, yeah. But actually what's happening here is Peter is very earthly-minded in this moment. He's thinking, I want to hold on to this. And maybe a better modification of that quote is some Christians are so earthly-minded that we're no earthly good. Because oftentimes what we do is we think about us. What is going to inspire me? What is my preference? What do I want? And let's just live there. Let's just live there. And so here's what you have going on. There's this danger that we're seeing when it comes to the mountaintop moments. And the danger is this, and it's there on your sermon notes, number two. We want to linger longer than we're meant to in those spots. Right? I mean, if you had some Sundays, and if your answer is no, don't say it right now because it's Sunday and it's right here. I'm going to take that personally. But no, you've had some Sundays where you think, I just want to stay in Sunday. Or you've had a weekend where you just go, I don't want to go back on Monday. Or you've had a vacation where you just go, I don't want to come back from that vacation. I mean, we'd all love to linger longer, wouldn't we, in those mountaintop moments that God gives us? <clears throat> we move on. Uh, sorry, there's a, there's a quote that C.S. Lewis, and you've heard me, you've heard me reference this quote, um, but it's really, I think it just so captures the reality of the Christian life. C.S. Lewis speaks to that initial mountaintop moment that every single one of us, we encounter at some point in our faith. Here's what he says, and this is in a book called The Screwtape Letters. It's a couple of demons talking to one another, and it's like the teacher demon is trying to tell his student demons, here's how you're going to throw off the Christians, the followers of Jesus. Here's what he says. Work hard then on the disappointment or anticlimax, which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks as a churchman. The enemy, and he's referencing God here, the enemy allows this disappointment to occur on the threshold of every human endeavor. It occurs when the boy who has been enchanted in the nursery stories, or the nursery by stories from the Odyssey, buckles down to really learning Greek. It occurs when lovers have gotten married and begin the real task of learning to live together. In every department of life, it marks the transition from dreaming aspiration to laborious doing. And as I look at that, I go, that's it right there. This is where Peter's at. And it's not just where Peter's at. It's where we get to, even now, even today, a couple thousand years after this conversation took place. We face the danger of wanting to linger longer than we're meant to. And that brings us to the aim of the mountaintop moments. When you watch how things progress, we, we have our eyes open to the aim of the mountaintop moments. It's a discovery here. Verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Now, side note, 
it's got to say something to Peter that this time Jesus didn't reply to Peter. It was like Jesus stood back and this cloud shows up and it's like, oh my gosh, that here comes the heavenly father. He's going to deal with you, Peter. And, and as I look at it, I thought, wow, Peter, he went pretty, pretty loving on Peter here, didn't he? But look at, the, look at the nature of what God says here. This is my son whom I love. Look at him. No. No, I mean, he was so captivated by what was happening, right? There's a cloud, there's glory, there's Elijah, there's Moses. Jesus has been transfigured. And yet, what does God say to Peter? He says, listen to him. This is my son, in case you were wondering, in case that suffering and the death talk uh, from a week ago threw you off. This is my son. I love him. And you, listen to him. See, it's not just a hearing kind of listen. It is obey him. See, you want to know what the discovery is that God leads us to when we get a mountaintop moment that really inspires us? The discovery is this, that when God opens our eyes to see who Jesus is, it should open our hearts to obey what Jesus says. Now, that's a hard place to get to, isn't it? It's a really hard place to get to because I want, I want the visible. I want to be able to see. I want to see all the miracles that you've been doing, Jesus. And can he do those? Absolutely. But God says that's not all there is to it, right? You've seen the glory. You've seen the transfiguration. You've seen all that's happening here. But now you're going to listen. You got to listen to him. See, this is why, this is why I believe that many of us, we get mixed up here. Because God's takeaway for Peter is not an experience, it's obedience. He says, look, you, you could be tempted to follow Jesus because of this experience he gives you. And yes, he's gracious to give us those experiences. But what does he say? He says, listen to him. You want to know what love means? It means listen. It means obey what he has to say. But see, this is why some of us, we've asked Jesus into our hearts 18 different times, haven't we? Have you done that? I mean, for me, it's been three, all right? And I, I still remember them. One was an Amway convention from years ago. My parents were in Amway, and they did this Sunday morning, this Sunday morning uh, church service. And I remember the emotion and the way the sound filled the room, and I just was so inspired. And I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give my life to Jesus today. And then there was the power team. Do you remember anybody from the 80s, the power team, Christian bodybuilders? They, like, ripped phone books in half for Jesus. And I was like, yes. My life is yours, Jesus. And then there was a third time. There was a third time. I was sitting in my room by myself, and I just went, Lord, my life's yours. And I don't know if it took the first time or the second time, but just to make sure this is a triple, this is a triple invite, okay? And I remember it was on the heels of I, I had been broken up with, and so I don't know if I was just, if, if it was all the heartbreak or, well, I know what it was. It was God using it. But I got to be honest, I don't know if I could point at a specific moment in which, and some people can, and I believe that's absolutely part of some people's stories. But for others, it's more like a, I've heard it referred to as either a bee sting or a flower blooming. You know, some can remember a point in time and some of us remember a process. And I remember that real mountaintop moment 
was the moment, not when I was overcome by emotion, not when a church put on a service and they just overwhelmed my senses or anything like that. You know what it was? It was when in the heart I went, Jesus, I believe you say who you say you are and that you will do what you say you do. And that was the moment that my heart went, okay, I'm laying my will down. It's yours now. You can have it. See, when God gives us the grace to open our eyes to who Jesus is, it ought to open our hearts to obey what Jesus says. And as this encounter progresses, you know what we find out next? We find out what the result of a genuine mountaintop experience, especially when it comes to following Jesus, ought to look like. Here's where it all lands. Verse 8. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And you read that at first and you go, what? What happened to the glory? What happened to the caffeine buzz? What happened to the, you know, all the emotion that must have been and the excitement that must have been surrounding this? There was nothing and no one left with them except Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when I read that for the umpteenth time, I thought back to what Isaiah said, Isaiah the prophet. When he spoke of that Messiah one day when he showed up, you know what he said? He said he wouldn't be much to look at. And you got those days? Do you have those days where the thought of Jesus, the thought of engaging with Jesus in some way, which just doesn't feel like much to look at? Yeah, you know what God's doing there? He's not saying, oh, that's a sign he's left you. He's deepening you, and he's deepening me. He's deepening all of us. He's saying, look, sometimes faith means following without the feelings, without all the fireworks, without all the glory. But you're not trying to get back to that. I'm trying. I'm trying. And and, and he's going to, he's not just going to try. He's going to He's going to, in his way, make sure it happens. He's going to say, when all is said and done, you know who it is? It's Jesus. It is a Messiah who stands there with you. When all the sights and sounds are gone, it is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And that's number four on your notes. The result, the result is that when the spectacular is past, the Savior remains. When spectacular has passed, the Savior remains. But a lot, of, a lot of times, we rely on that fireworks picture, don't we? We say, oh, if I could just get back to. If I could just get back to. He says, no, no, no. You've got him with you. What happened up there on the mountaintop? All that glory, it is found in the Savior who walks with you and talks with you and goes with you every place you go. So you hear all that and you think, well, that's, I, I don't know about you, but for me, as, as I was just processing this, I went, that's a different kind of mountaintop experience, isn't it? I mean, that's the kind of mountaintop experience that if I had that once in my life, I'd like to think I'd, I'd make it. I'd be okay. And yeah, inspiration is great, but sometimes we go, I just, I just, I need another, I need another caffeine buzz of faith. I need a little more excitement. I need a little more emotion. I need a little more energy. But there's a different way to get there. There's a different way to get to that mountaintop. Let me come back to uh, verse 2 for a second. 
Read this again. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. Now, for them, remember this was pre-resurrection. This was pre-Jesus going to the cross and then rising from the dead. And so Jesus physically took them up a mountain. You want to know how that happens now? Because what did Jesus do? He sent the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, he'd say to you and me, and we see it throughout his word, and this is why Paul is so adamant, approach him. Approach the throne, approach that mountaintop of God through what? Prayer. Prayer. Do you want to know where your sorrows and your experience and your Savior are transfigured into glory? It's in the place of prayer. And it's in his word. And it's with the body of Christ. See, that's how you get up a mountain. The way up the mountain, number five in your notes, the way up the mountain, fastest way up a mountain is down. Onto our knees. Down onto our knees, into the word, with the body. As we take communion together. As we worship together. As we fellowship together as we teach and as we learn, as we listen. That's how you show up on a mountaintop. You guys have heard, uh, have you heard the phrase, Google is your friend? Have you ever asked somebody a question and they're like, yeah, Google's your friend? Or you've had that moment where maybe you're holding one of these in your hand, right? These, these things that have more powerful computers than what, what any lab had four decades ago. And have you ever found yourself doing this? I wonder what 70 times like 857 is. How could I figure that out? How could I figure that out? Oh, man. I wonder how to get to Coors Field from here. I wonder how far it is from here to the moon kind of thing. And we're sitting here doing this, right? This is the reminder we get with prayer. That you have with you, not that you have to go find or run after, you have with you, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you have in prayer, in fellowship with him, in communion with him, you have his presence and all that that entails. In Jeremiah 33.3, the prophet Jeremiah, he's like in this garden. You know what God says to him? He says, call to me and I will answer you with answers, with solutions that cannot be found. That means it can't be Googled. There are some Holy Spirit answers to what you're walking through what I walk through, that you will not be able to Google it. You will not find it in any internet search. And he goes, I have those answers. You want a mountaintop experience? Have it out with me in prayer. Come to my word. Engage with the body of Christ. And you will begin to spot the answers that are tied to the desires of your heart. And finally, with all that in mind, we're brought to really the reason for a mountaintop experience. Look at just the next half verse. This is the piece that we all resist when we're having a mountaintop moment. Verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain. As they were coming down the mountain. No! We don't want to go down the mountain. We want to stay up there. As they were coming down the mountain. And we'll jump into this further, actually, this next week. Uh, by email. We're doing this next few verses in the email, and if you're not subscribed to that, at the bottom of the sermon notes, you can just text email to the phone number there, and you can get on the email list. Um, But 
as we read this, this half verse here, as they were coming down the mountain, do you want to know what your mountaintop experiences do? They position you and they position me to walk in the suffering and next to it. A mountaintop experience positions us to walk in it and next to it. I mean, I want you to think about this for a minute. Just think through, think through scripture, all the places that God shows up. Of course, there are these mountaintop moments. And and from a ratio perspective, there are far fewer of these glorious mountaintop moments than there are the valleys and the pits and the furnaces and everything else. Right? Psalm 23, well-loved psalm. But where do we end up when we go through that psalm? In the valley of the shadow of death. You look at the book of Daniel, and where do we learn a few of them end up in a furnace? And there's a fourth person in there that looks like the son of man, they say. And you got Paul who's in prison. You got the people of God that are in captivity. And you got Joseph in the pit and then in a prison. You got Paul shipwrecked and you've got persecution and you've got martyrdom. And you know what? As long as I'm looking for an experience, I'm going to avoid all that. Even worse, I'm going to be blind to where he's at in the middle of all that. And this is why God says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Because you know what happens when you listen to him? You encounter him. You encounter him in the midst of all that stuff. Give me the savior that's present there. And then there's next to it. When you've got a testimony from him showing up in those places, you know what happens? You've got something to point others to him with. I mean, just think about it. What, what, what would draw you more? Somebody that when you're going through a hard time, they say, oh, well, life is just, it's just like a giant mountaintop experience all the time. You go, oh, shut your mouth. Get away. I want to know, I want to hear from the person that has walked through it and they've encountered the Savior in the middle of that. That's who I want to find. That's the Savior I want to encounter. And this is why, this is why as we wrap up, This is why I believe that great promise Jesus gave everybody before he ascended to heaven is the greatest of all of the promises. This is from Matthew chapter 28. You may have heard this a number of times. But in the context of making disciples, remember, this transfiguration is on the heels of being a disciple. And so as Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, In the context of going and making disciples, he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, here it is, I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, our greatest promise we have is the presence of that Savior and all his glory, and all that was in him. So at the bottom of your sermon notes, if you remember anything from today, remember that great promise. The presence of our Savior is what makes anything a summit. The presence of the Savior is what makes anything a summit. And when you've spent some time in that, and he's convinced you of that, you know what happens? Monday, Wednesday turns into a Sunday, doesn't it? In communion, like we took this morning, you know, it's like this big. 
But when you have him with you, that's a feast. And when you're in the pit, and when you're in the valley, and when you're in the furnace, and when you're in captivity, you know what that becomes? It becomes a mountaintop. And so we'll look forward as the worship team comes back up. We'll look forward to continuing this this week and, and into the coming weeks. And let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, and uh, this is one of those passages that just so stands out. And I don't know if it's because it just seems set apart from the others or if it just seems uh, so we can relate to it, but we can't. And so, Lord, in the midst of looking at this passage, Lord, would you lay on our hearts and write on our hearts the things that you illuminate? The, the source of our mountaintop moments, the dangers of them, the aim of them, the result of them. And Lord, if anything, draw us. Draw us into that place where our sorrows and the things we're going through and our hopes and our dreams and, and you above all else are transfigured into glory. Lord, draw us into prayer. Draw us into your word. Draw us back together with one another as a body of Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.